my, my question to your listeners would be, what is the state, what is the mindset, what is the, the physiological state of readiness that is going to make doing your work or taking action on your goals easier? And, and what do you need to do to get in that state? Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it's RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits. Thank you for coming on another week's journey as we talk to Cliff Morgan, a management consultant out of Brisbane, Australia on the topic of exponential leadership. So his theory is that leaders should be coaches and they should be looking to create a scalable system to create more leaders. Interesting topic, in theory, sounds great, but we talk about how to actually execute this. Clift believes that leaders should all become luminaries, lighting the way for others within their organization to not only find what leadership means to them, but then to move forward and impact everyone throughout that organization. Cliff has an interesting background. He really cut his teeth in the Royal Australian Air Force, where he implemented leadership programs and with that success, made a decision to take it out to the private sector. Really, really enjoyable conversation, a really down-to-earth guy. And I really love this concept of exponential leadership. Now, we've had many, many people on this show with their own takes of leadership. And Whilst it can be a very, very fluffy subject, like always at Ultra Habits, we want to ensure that we are talking about the pathway to implementation, and we do focus at that in this conversation. So I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Cliff, but if you don't know by now, I will be looking to break the Guinness Book of World Records for 24 hours burpees by myself. That's going to be 11,000. I'm going to be looking to do it early next year. And we are going to be looking to raise $1 million for charity. So we're going to be working with Black Dog Institute, the only organization in Australia that researches mental health and implements programs across the country. To learn more, go to the website at www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. And what you'll also get is exclusive content every week or two where I will be focusing on habits what am I doing to ensure that I sustain myself on what's going to be this crazy journey? And that's talking about sustainability, not only from a fitness perspective, but from a family business perspective and everything. You'll see warts and all. It's not going to be curated. And like always, it's going to be real and raw. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you. Have a wonderful week. Peace. Cliff, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. How are you going? Good. Thanks, RJ. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You know, we did some research um, and we're going to unpack kind of what you do and how you do what you do. But your mission is to help leaders become luminaries by challenging mindsets, influencing culture and empowering people. For those that are not literally in or literary inclined, what's a luminary? I guess one of the taglines for our business is this leaders to luminary concept. And when you think about a luminary, they're a person of prominence within their field. They are someone who have it achieved really well. So they're, they're good at execution. They're high performers. Uh, and they, they've generally kind of broken some new ground and, and people look up to them as a bit of a role model, right? Um, but luminaries, are they, they kind of light the way for other people. 
Uh, and, you know, so often you you kind of get this whole concept of standing on the shoulders of giants. And, and luminaries will say that they themselves have stood on the shoulders of those that have gone before. But one of the big things that a luminary is keen to do is kind of pass their insight on to those coming behind them, those following through and, and kind of uh, in many ways say, well, hey, my ceiling is your floor and uh, and lift them and elevate them up. So they're, they're, they're kind of, um, you know, I, I talk about luminary leaders, they elevate people um, both in thinking and performance uh, and, and developing capability. And, um, you know, the, the other thing about luminaries is they, they, uh, they, their influence generally spans boundaries, right? Uh, and, and you look at people who get inspired by a, a luminary, often it's, it's not just those within their field, but often they'll be, you know, inspiring people in other fields and uh, they'll be looked to from people that weren't in their world uh, initially when they came to prominence. So, um, you know, I, I love working with leaders. Um, to, to help them become, first of all, kind of luminaries within their organisation. And, and that means that they're, they're looked to by the people within their organisation and they're, they're kind of a role model there and they're, they're always constantly developing people. Um, and, but then also to, to become luminaries within their, their field and their industry. So people outside their organisation are actually looking to them as a leader. Uh, and then if, if I get the opportunity to work not just with individual leaders but uh i I guess the the teams and then the companies then uh you know the same concept applies i I love taking a team uh, and making them a luminary so your other teams will look to them about how are you doing that um you know and then you know company-wide if 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 i get that opportunity if i work with the executive team and, and the influence of all that work kind of flows down then we get this luminary kind of organization where other people in the industry are looking to that that company um, for how to do things better, how to succeed, how, you know, as a role model to replicate some of those those things. So that's the concept behind uh, kind of leaders to luminaries and and what I'm trying to achieve in all my work. If if I'm thinking about wanting to embark on the path of becoming a luminary, what are the characteristics that I need to embrace to do so? Is an individual, let's say, first within my organization. First thing is, you know, do really good work, all right? I talk about um, just be a high performer, right? You, you've got to got to be really good and have the, the credibility and the confidence uh, to to kind of get some runs on the board, right? Um, and, and once you've done that, it's, it's about being trusted. And, you know, trust, part of trust is uh, it, it's, it comes from your competence and your results and, and consistency over time, right? Consistent results over time. Uh, and, you know, one of, one of the kind of characteristics of a high-performance team is exceeding, uh, achieving ex- um, extraordinary results and exceeding people's expectations consistently over time. Um, and it's the same with, you know, a, a luminary is they don't just, they're not a flash in the pan, but they're consistently achieving results. Um, and, and that in itself builds trust, right? That builds credibility. And so people are going to look to, to them as a, a, a role model. Um, and, and then, you know, in, in terms of starting, once you've kind of got that as a foundation, it's, it's who, are you, who are you teaching? How are you uh, trying to elevate the people around you? 
Uh, and so that might be, you know, coaching people. It might be mentoring in a, a formal type thing or it might be just informally. Uh, but it's investing into others to help them be better as well. And therefore, you know, you're, you're not only increasing the, the performance there, but you're kind of increasing the capability of your organization as well. W- would you agree that for an individual to become a luminary, they have to, they have to be excellent within their craft? And then I guess the second question is, how important is it for, I mean, you see, you see a lot of people nowadays talking about the importance of vision and kind of this whole Steve Jobs movement. And I think in many ways, I think it's overrated. I think what's underrated is the ability to effectively execute and be in the weeds and also be strategic, but execution of strategy versus setting a vision and a strategy, which I think is kind of getting played out. And I, I want to ask you this question, like when you talk about trust, people in my view want to see a sermon. They don't want to hear one. And, and so what's your view on that? Like for a person to be a luminary, do they have to be excellent? and the best at what they do or could they also just be a person that shepherds people or is a bit of both like you know do they have to be michael jordan or can they be you know um was it phil jackson or is there a bit of both what's the what's the typical makeup of a luminary it's not either or but but it's often a both end type thing um you know does a does a luminary leader, uh, do they have to um, be excellent at what they do? Well, I, I would say yes. Um, the excellence in what they do uh, has to be kind of part of how they do things. But at the same time, do they need to be the best? And what I would say is no, right? Um, you don't have to be the best at what you do uh, to be able to um uh, you know, influence others, right? Ultimately, and and lead others, and lead others really well. If you think about it, ultimately, uh, a luminary leader is someone who who kind of illuminates the way for others, um, and they achieve high performance themselves. But the high high performance kind of gives them the the credibility. It um, it it's almost like what attracts people to them, right? But it's um. It's the the way that they are able to develop people and elevate others and elevate the performance of others that kind of what sustains them at a high level rather than them achieving as individuals for a high level. You're saying that individuals need to ultimately pivot to a place where they're more interested in the performance of others versus their own interests. Is that what you're saying? Uh, very much so. So, yes, I mean, the, the thing if for a, a real luminary, they, they kind of, they never drop their own performance. Um, so they're, they're, always, they're always focused on what they're doing and doing it really well. Um, but that not, their own performance isn't necessarily what drives them, right? It's um, they get to this point where they're very much focused on the people around them and, uh, you know, their legacy, I guess, in some ways. But it's they they understand that they can have so much influence and so much impact 
on their world if they they focus on their own performance. Um, but for every person that they influence and join them, their, their influence and impact expands and multiplies, right? Uh, and so I talk about this concept of exponential influence or exponential leadership. So whenever I'm working with a leader, uh, yes, I'm 100% working with them, but I'm actually looking through them to the people that they lead. Uh, and and so because I know if I can influence this one leader and equip them to be able to go and influence their teams, then ultimately, you know, I've just, I haven't just influenced that leader, I've influenced the team. Uh, and and really what I want to get to is that the, the leader that I'm working with, right, equips his team to go and influence their team, right, and you get this multiplication effect uh, in this exponential um, realisation of the influence that, that I've had in a leader. So in, in that way, that, that's kind of very much a, a driving part of my, my perspective and why I do what I do and how I do what I do. It's very much around equipping people to go and create more, you know, to create great leaders who go and create more great leaders who go and create more great leaders. So you're talking about a scalability factor, right? In terms of, you know, this whole, you know, a lot of people talk about it in financial terms, right? Like compounding interest or compounding habits, right? Where you're, and I do agree with you. I think that if you start at the top, it's probably the most efficient way of then creating that exponential scalability, which is required in terms of influence across the organization. Um, and I think it's a very effective way of, of doing that. So that was actually one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. But what we're going to do is we'll, we'll pull it back to um, your own career, particularly your career in the military. We have a lot of, a lot of guests on this show that are ex-military. I tend to have a lot of shared values, uh, I think with individuals like yourself in this space. And one of the things I read about, read about you was that you were always kind of interested as a young person on how to lead and how to kind of influence, whether it was your team or others, to achieve a shared goal. And this took you to the military. Like, what was in the military that you were effectively thinking would help bring the best out of you or was a point of interest for you to join? Yeah, so I, I guess my, my story goes back um, almost, well, my connection to the military goes back, uh, I guess, before that point. And I've, I've got a, a grandfather, two uncles, three cousins and a brother who are all pilots. Uh, and so flying and aviation is, is in the blood. And my grandfather in particular was a pilot in World War II. He was a biscuit bomber and, and flew over um, you know places like the Kokoda Track in PNG and kind of push supplies out to, to the troops below, and um, and so I was very very much inspired. And I'm actually named after my, my grandfather. So my, my grandfather's Clifford Lanham, and, uh, and 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 I'm Clifford Morgan. And so there was a, a bit of a connection there. And, and since a, a young kid, I wanted to be an Air Force pilot, uh, and so that was kind of the the first real interest in the military. Uh, now, unfortunately. Um, my eyesight's not great, and that was never really an option for me. Uh, but when I was uh, a teenager, really, my my dad uh, put me on to uh, John Maxwell and and reading some of his books, listening to some of his audio tapes, 
And his messaging around leadership, and for those that don't know, he's probably, I, I would say, is the, the world's leading authority on, on leadership and probably has influenced more leaders and developed more leaders than anyone else uh, in our current age anyway. And, but his messaging really connected with me. And so it always, that's where the spark in leadership uh, kind of, you know, was, was birthed, I guess. Just on that, Cliff, just on that, yeah. why do you think your dad felt it necessary to give such a young person a book on what is really a profound topic? Like, what was he trying to achieve? Why did he give you that book? Yeah, look, um, so I, I think he saw potential, right, uh, in in me is probably the, the easiest way. I think he, so, you know, my, my dad's, story uh was he grew up uh, I, I guess really below the poverty line his his father was a pastor uh and they weren't paid a whole lot of money and didn't have a whole lot of opportunities and so my dad at the age of 13 when he wasn't able to afford music lessons basically made the decision that my kids are going to have the opportunities that he didn't and so he worked really hard and through education pulled himself up and you know, became a, a very successful doctor and, you know, we, we had a great childhood full of opportunity. And I, I think my dad, so, you know, through that, he, he very much kind of in a health setting uh, is very much a leader in, in that space. And I think he saw a lot of uh, potential in the, the, the leadership space that, that I was in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess... It was it was also stuff that he was reading and and kind of resonated with him and and I think uh, a lot of the I guess values you know you mentioned that word before that John Maxwell talks about you know definitely resonate within our family and and sort of part of reinforcing that and also trying to encourage potential uh, would have passed that material on to me. That that's interesting. So he introduced you to this book and that ultimately inspired you. Um, or partly inspired you to down this path of leadership? Definitely. I, you know, that, that's where the interest, I, I think, was, was first sparked. And so when, um, uh, you, you know, and, and very much the military is a, an organisation where, excuse me, um, there's plenty of opportunity for leadership. And, you know, I'll say that there's the, the way that the military develops leaders is uh, exceptional. Uh, I think the opportunity or the, the the processes they go through that have been developed kind of through centuries and the 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 pressure that people get put under on a regular basis and the ability to perform under pressure and, and you know all those sorts of things uh, is it produces a, a type of leader that um, you know well not always the best leader but the, it's an environment where leadership capability is is developed very well. And so there was a there was a part of me that um, you know while while I was young and, and it's a big adventure to to going and joining the military, but there's also a part where I knew that uh, if I went there, I was going to develop a whole lot of leadership skills that I probably wouldn't develop anywhere else. Many of our guests and you know a lot of people are, are quite aware of uh, leadership training in, in the military being the best, and and obviously the the pressure and, and the stakes are high. But what I find interesting about the amount of leaders that I've met that the military's pumped out is it doesn't really matter about IQ, right? Like, like, you know, like, and that's the thing, right? Like the, 
the military, I've met people that were grunts and stayed grunts and, you know, weren't necessarily of any kind of high acumen, but had amazing leadership qualities. Um, and it's a pity that we don't see that more within organizations and conventional paths, because I think more so with conventional paths, there seems to be this kind of connection with kind of IQ and, and, and leadership where I, I find with the military, they just have a way of bringing it out of everyone. What do you think is unique um, to the military that you experienced, which is kind of lacking within corporate or private sector or, you know, even government sectors that you've come across? Look, that's a, a really great question, RJ, and you could probably spend hours pulling apart different components of that. If, if I was to just, you know, briefly look at a couple there, I think, uh, one, they, it's, so the, they, they break things down uh, to the lowest common denominator, right? So they, they make it simple and, and then they build on that. So one of the great things that the, the military does is that every time you progress, you get a next level of training. So if you're, you're going from, you know, a private to, uh, you know, in my, my world, I was in the, the ground defense world of the Air Force. So when I became um, a patrol commander, then there was, you know, a, a 2IC course that I went and did. And then there was, you know, as I uh, was getting prepared to get promoted, then there's a promotional course that you go on. And every time you get promoted and go to a new rank, you get a new promotional course. Um, and they're constantly always developing uh, people in. And, and then the, so you, you're constantly getting training and it's constantly building on kind of what you've, you've already done. But then the other piece to that is um, the opportunities to apply that and the, the training that, that is constantly happening. So if you're not on deployment, you're not doing operations for real, you're constantly training, right? And so therefore you're constantly being put in a, um, really a, a scenario and scenario based training I think is one of the most underutilized uh, methods of, of, of development in the corporate world uh, but you're being put in a scenario where you have to leave and it's not just an, an average scenario usually it's a, a pretty high stakes scenario where um, you know in my world it was it was people shooting at us um, you know, but in in other worlds it might be uh, you know if we're, we're talking um, the Air Force logistics and Air Force movements side of things. You've got multiple aircraft coming in, and you've got to get, um, you know, the the uh, packages uh, out on, onto the thing. You've got to do that in time, and so you're put under pressure to perform your role, whatever that role is, and and then you debrief uh, about that afterwards. And um, uh, and I, I guess in in that you're constantly having people go away for courses or be pulled out to do some sort of task, and so you have to then step up or, or there's opportunities for you to step up and operate at the, the higher level, which is something that, again, uh, I don't think is um, or doesn't happen very often in the, the corporate world. And I actually talk to leaders uh, a bit about, well, if we're going to develop someone, how about you kind of step aside and get them to step in and fulfil your role uh, for a period of time or a portion or a part of an activity so that they get the experience of operating at a higher level um, because that's something that does happen in the military regularly. And so you're always, it's, there's this pipeline of leadership that's getting developed. You've always got experience of, of operating, you know, one-up, we call it one-up training. And, 
and therefore when you know and, and it's designed if you think the psychology of it right it's designed for the battlefield if if i'm as a patrol commander get shot and i'm taken out of the fight well who's going to lead the troops we need to have someone that's willing and, and prepared and ready to step up straight away and um you know so so that mil- in a military environment all those sorts of things happen regularly whereas they don't necessarily happen in the in the corporate world yeah no that's a, that's a that's an excellent answer and i i guess you know there are multifaceted challenges there right with corporate there's bau uh, there isn't necessarily uh the time that we or you may see in the military but i think having academies having centers of excellence and uh, that kind of compounded uh, training uh, once you kind of move up. I mean, I would say most companies lack really, um, you know, in my experience, most companies lack strong indoctrination programs or onboarding programs. Um, I mean, most of those are weak in my view. So let alone any kind of enhanced training uh, when one is kind of moving from one level to the next. So. No, that was a really, really good answer and really insightful. So one of the things um, that really caught my eye, uh, we were looking at your website earlier. It says, you know, we we're talking about uh, leadership here. And on your website, uh, you mentioned, you know, we've all had leaders that we would, you know, go into battle for, take a bullet for. And we've also had the worst kind of leaders, the ones that you prefer to throw a grenade under their bed while sleeping. I thought that was really pointed and hard hitting. Um, and, you know, it, it said that you, you know, you really are about, um, you know, challenging poor leadership. You know, Cliff wages a war against the perpetuation of poor leadership. That's that's a big that's a big statement. So what happens when you go into an organization and you come across a company that has really, really bad leadership? Like, what do you do? So uh, well, you, you mentioned earlier the you know, the statement that I, I, I say, the, the way that I go about what I do, leaders and luminaries, it's through challenging mindsets, influencing culture and empowering people. And and so I look to do those three things. And, uh, you know, at, at some, if there's poor leadership in with the, you know, companies and clients that I'm working with, uh, invariably they're going to get challenged. So it, it, it is about calling it out. It is about challenging them the way they're doing it, why they're doing it. and uh, and, and challenge them to, to make a change, right? Now, obviously, that needs to be done in a really respectful way and you can't just walk in here and, and sort of say, well, you're being a bad leader. Um, you know, they're, so you've got to go about that in a respectful way, but it is challenging them. So often people, here's the, here's the thing, RJ, is that so often people haven't ever seen what good looks like. You know, there's some research out there that sort of suggests that, and, and it's a little bit old now, so I hope that the figures have changed, but it, it, it suggested um, that it's 10 years between when someone gets their first supervisory responsibilities and when they get their first decent amount of leadership training. And so it's a decade of trying to figure out stuff, not knowing what you're doing. And in situations like that, what do you do? Well, you look to the people who you've seen that have led before you, right? the, the, the people who had held the role previously. Now, if they haven't had the leadership training, they're trying to figure it out th- themselves uh, and don't know what they're doing, then you're replicating, you know, a whole lot of mistakes, right? And and that 
that's kind of the where the perpetuation of poor leadership comes in because you don't know any better. You haven't seen what good looks like. And so challenging them to say, well, actually, stop. What are you doing? What are you, what's the purpose behind this behavior or this thought pattern? Or you've taken this approach to achieve this. Let, let's actually think that through and, and challenging them to, to, to do that. And so often, like the intent is good, but the execution is poor. And, and, and so often that is, is, um, is the case. And so I, I talk about the principle of three eyes when people understand that the, uh, impact of their behavior is different from the intent, then they will initiate change themselves, right? So the way that I, the way that I, I challenge them is so often highlighting the difference between the intent and the impact. And, uh, and then we can have the, the conversation about what, cha- what needs to change. Hey folks, a quick break to thank you for joining us on the third year of Ultra Habits. A hell of a ride. Thank you for coming. Now, one of the things about having all these amazing conversations day in, day out, is I feel like I talk a lot, but I'm not always doing as much as I'd like to. I'm just not sharpening my sword the way that I'm used to. So I decided to put myself back under the heat. I will be embarking on a new crucible as I attempt a Guinness Book World Record feat. And more to be revealed on that later. But I want to document the journey. Real, raw, uncut, uncurated, with a real, real focus on the habits that I'm going to be implementing on a daily basis to sustain me on this crazy journey. If you haven't already, subscribe to the newsletter. It's all there. It'll be www.ultrahabits.co. That's www.ultrahabits.co. Come along the ride. Let's do this together. That's a huge one. I think that so many leaders see themselves very differently to how they're viewed by their people. That's a huge piece. I think when someone comes to realize that, like that can be quite heavy. And so you talk about, you know, you have to approach things very sensitively when you come in into an organization. Are you generally sourced by the board or a CEO or usually working with the the management team, like who's general or is the individual that is having the issues? Do they source you? Like what's generally the way that you're, you're sourced? Because I mean, one is if you're sourced by the individual that's having the challenges, one could say, well, that individual has some level of awareness, but if you're sourced by their bosses, like what's that conversation like? And generally, what's the way? Well, how does it how does it happen? Uh, so I, I guess all of the above. I intentionally keep a broad client base and do a broad scope of, of uh, I guess, type of work. And that's both from an interest perspective for me, but also uh, from a diversification of risk from a, a business perspective. So I'm um, trying to uh, play things uh, strategically there. But so I'll, I, I, there's definitely a number of um, times the board has brought me in uh, and kind of introduced me to the CEO and said we would like, um, you know, whether it's you or your team to work with with Cliff on on this. Um, a number of times it's the CEO that's been brought in. Uh, a number of times it's it's kind of uh, not necessarily right at the top. It might be um, you know senior managers or general managers who uh, have said, hey, we've got a problem with the team. Um, let's, let's bring Cliff in and, and we'll work with the, the team. And 
in those situations. And, and look, to be honest, I've, I've had, I remember one of my clients who, who came in, I, I had the, the brief beforehand uh, from his, uh, from, from the CEO and said, hey, he doesn't want to be here, but he needs to be here. And, you know, just just be aware of that. And so he comes in and he, he sits down, you know, he says, the, the defensive great, position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he literally walks in, arms folded, sitting back in his chair. He's a, uh, you know, he's a hard man who's had a hard life. He's kind of in his 60s and, um, you know, it's just super, you know, uh, and it was clear. And then, and then he opens up and starts speaking. He's like, I don't, I, I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. The problem in this organisation lies up there. And, uh, you know, you're wasting your time with me. And, and so obviously that's a fun way to start a coaching session, right? Um, but, but you know, let me tell you this, right? That session ended with me, uh, with him turning to me and going, you know what, I walked in here with a closed door and you opened it. Um, and the way that I did that was I said, okay, cool. Um, I, I uh, you know, name the elephant in the room, you, you talk about that and say, hey, fully understand, you don't want to be here. Uh, and you know what, I'm not going to make you here. I'll stay here. Um, but let me ask you this question, all right? What's in it for you? What What are your priorities at the moment and how can I help you get your priorities? And I think this is an important principle of influence, right, in that um, if, you have, if you want someone to do something, you frame your request as a contribution to their priorities. You find out what's important to them, and then you you frame the conversation, frame what you want them to do as a contribution to that. Because if they're already bought into what's important to them, and they can see how what you're asking them to do is going to help them get what they want, then they'll buy into what you're asking them to do. Right? Uh, and so you throw it back on them. What are their priorities? What are their needs? What can they get out of uh, the the process? And uh, you know, get them talking about those things. And so often, it's just listening is the first part, right? And making them feel heard and valued. And then once um, you know, once you kind of start to unpack some of that, then you can start to challenge, right? Um, and say, oh, okay, cool. It's really interesting that you said this. And um, I'm just wondering how you know potentially if you've done X, how would that be perceived by the leadership or people down there or you know, I, I'm just wondering and, and you try and get them to you know potentially uh, sit in somebody else's shoes or adopt a different perspective to the one that they have and generally what happens in there is they get some sort of insight um, and you know there's a whole lot of things around you know flash of dopamine in the head that allows them to feel good as opposed to the insight and then start getting motivated to make a change and um you know, start to align their behaviour towards their intent, and um, you know that that's kind of the the way in the door, I guess, to some of those really hard cases. Yeah, I think that's a huge one, Cliff. That kind of alignment of actual uh, someone's actions and behaviour to intent, because I feel like a lot of times people think they are, uh, but they're completely misaligned, and uh, sometimes those situations can be hostile when you're when you're trying to get that individual to see that. You know, one of the things I realized, and I know we had a chat offline a week or so ago, was a lot of what you do has a high orientation of coaching in it, right? And 
But let's let's talk about the executive that is managing a team. You know, people talk about that old adage of the difference between a leader and a manager. And I think uh, that conversation's happened a lot. But I would ask you, like, what is the difference between coaching and I suppose managing? And how do you, how do those two interplay? Like, for instance, I've led people. Sometimes I just need them to get shit done. Um, But then the conversations will end up becoming a coaching session when I didn't really want it to be a coaching session at that time. Like, is there a forum? Do you weave it into your daily way of operating as a leader? Like what's your perspective on the interplay uh, of coaching and managing and, and how does that operate effectively when you're running a team? You know, if you look at coaching, coaching is uh, essentially asking strategic questions to help other people figure out, you know, whether it's solve their own problem or figure out what they need to do to achieve an outcome. But it's asking strategic questions, right? And and it's that's a, a great way, on pro- and I would, I'm biased, but I would say one of the best ways uh, to help them develop and learn what they need to do and foster initiatives so that they can do it themselves in the process. Um, and so really... If you were to look at the difference between, I guess, you know, I, I talk about directing and then through coaching, all right? And that's the, kind of the, the continuum there. So you've got really directing at one end and coaching at the other. Um, and in, in the middle, you've got this kind of mentoring piece, which is kind of providing advice on based on your experience. Um, and But um, so, so often people think leadership management, you know, being higher up in the hierarchy, it's there's a, a need for directing to, to happen you know what 100 percent, there is coaching is not the right approach for every situation there are times as you said you just got to get shit done um where there's a whole lot of pressure where there's a whole lot of time um imperatives and, and things like that um and and so you just say hey i need you to do this and i need you to do it now right um but my my, my question is where's your default approach right uh, and so this is, this is what I, I talk to people about. I, when I, I coach a lot of leaders and I train a lot of leaders in coaching skills. And I believe, I'm a big believer that any task that you do as a leader, absolutely any task, can be enhanced by using coaching skills. And if you've got a coaching skill set as part of your leadership toolkit, then you can turn any task that you do into an opportunity to develop people if you want to, all right, and if you need to doesn't necessarily mean you do it all the time, but you have the ability to do that. Uh, and so I, I don't want to, um, you know, stack our companies full of executive coaches. I don't want to make more executive coaches because if we did that, then nothing would ever get done and everything would always be a coaching session. And, you know, it'd be so focused on developing people that decisions wouldn't be made and, and you know, projects wouldn't get completed. All sorts of stuff. So, but what I, what I am passionate about is um, really equipping leaders to be able to lead in a way that transforms the people they lead into better versions of themselves, right? Uh, and so that means, you know, better people means better team, uh, and therefore better better companies, um, you know, but also they go home and be better husbands, fathers, wives, sons, right? Uh, and so there's a, a kind of this altruistic type piece. But it's also if you're leading in a way that develops people, then you're building capability within your organisation. You're developing a pipeline of leadership and layers of leadership all the time as you do what you do. And so for me, um, my my belief is that the best approach for a leader 
is to um, is to have coaching as a default approach, right? And so when someone comes to them and says, hey, I've got a problem, you say, okay, cool, well, what would you do? And get them, foster their thinking and foster their initiative and develop them in the conversation. Um, and, and they stray from that approach as, as needed with time and pressure and workload and all those sorts of things, rather than their default approach being directing and telling people what to do uh and and then you know only when the pressure's off and only when their time allows that you you start to coach um because in today's workload everybody's so busy that they don't they're just sucked into the the machinations and um there's never any mental space to to take a coaching approach um so if your coaching is your default and you're constantly asking questions then um you're constantly going to be developing people um but as i say I want to equip leaders. I want leaders to lead. I want them to be lead and and use coaching skills to enhance the way they do that um, versus a whole bunch of executive coaches who occasionally don't coach. That's my my approach anyway. Yeah, no, and it, it, it makes sense, right? Like we're trying to get our people to think for themselves and not become the kind of one-stop shop for all direction and movement, right? Like that would completely become inefficient too. So as we start to um, wrap this up, we kind of always land on one question that's orientated towards habits and the subject matter expertise of, uh, of the person we're interviewing. So, so I'm going to ask you, if I want to become a luminary, I'm on a path, like I'm pretty good at what I do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm senior, mid to senior management in an organization, and I want to become a luminary. What are some of the, the habits that I could start to implement? in the way that I operate that would set me on that path, Cliff? The, the first one would be ask more questions, right? And, and you know, ultimately that's that's what, what kind of coaching is. Um, and so, the you know, more questions you ask, the more you engage your people, the more they start to think for themselves, the, you know, the more they learn and, and all that sort of thing. So um, I, would, I would definitely say that that is a, a really important habit for uh leaders to to gain the the other one um well i mean there, there's so many right we, we all have these great habits and uh, it's, it's really hard I, it's a piece that i've been thinking about recently right we, we always do planning we always set goals and we always think about um what we want to achieve and that's really important we, we started talking about you know luminaries being high performers and being able to execute well so if we plan on um you know the the goal and then plan out the steps and the actions we need to take and we focus on doing those actions and that's all well and good um I, i've started really thinking a bit more around kind of energy management and if we are in a really low energy state uh for whatever reason it might be a late night the night before or it might be you know high stress at work it might be that we're not um Real health. It could. It's for a, a whole lot of reasons. We don't feel like taking the action that we've planned out to do, right? Um, then it becomes really hard and, and hard to build momentum and that sort of thing. So the the question that I've been asking myself is: How do do I shift the focus from what are the habits that I need or the rituals that I have in my daily life to put me in a really good energy state, so that it's easy to take action. Right, so it's easy to be motivated. Uh, you know, so some of those those little things 
for me, um, uh, you know, every morning I, I get up and I, I do push-ups. It's the first thing that I do when I, I get out of bed, and that's a habit that I've cultivated over years. But that gets the blood flowing. It, it kind of wakes me up. It gets the heart you know, rate going. And I, I have uh, you know, um, a back injury that I need to maintain my core uh, to manage that from my military days. And so I'll have it stack. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of your readers will be aware of Atomic Habits and James Clear and talking about habit stacking. So I've got stretches and things to, to go from that. And uh, and and then I'll follow that with a cold shower, you know, um, probably do some exercise in between, but, you know, there's a cold shower. And these these sorts of things, you know, the cold shower is a reliable way to, without increasing cortisol and cortisone, you're getting the adrenaline pumping in your body. So physiologically, you're putting yourself in an energized, focused state. Um, so these are the little kind of rituals that allow you to um, get into a an energy state or a mindset, you know, some people might use that word, that makes taking action easy. My, my question to your listeners would be, what is the state, what is the mindset, what is the, the physiological state of readiness that is going to make doing your work or taking action on your goals easier and, and what do you need to do to get in that state? Because so, so often there's little things um, that you need to do. I mean, finishing your shower, you, your morning shower is something you do automatically, but it's just having, you know, 20 seconds of cold water at the end of it is not a really big thing, but it can have a huge impact on your state um, that can influence the way that you, you go about things, right? So what are, what, are the, what are the habits, what are the rituals that you can kind of insert or integrate into your life that put you in a state that makes taking action easy? That, that, that's brilliant, Cliff, because, I mean, we're huge. I'm a huge fan of the concept of energy management. I've had uh, Sarah Mendick on this uh, show um she's written a book on on naps and um also a, a new book called the power of the downstate uh where it's all about oscillating energy um and so there's like two worlds going on one is the world that i'm operating in and one is my own internal world and how do i try to get them to interact in a harmonious way and that's what you're talking about is like yeah. where where you know like you're focusing on the intrinsic game which is going to enable you to execute where I think a, a lot of the world and a lot of people think high performance is execution. Well, workaholism could look like high performance. doesn't necessarily mean that it is high performance, right? Like, you know what I mean, dude? So, and, and one of the, one of the areas that I think I'm, I'm working more with um, senior leaders uh, about is the, the space recovery from work. Right, you know, you you understand the importance of, of recovery, and anyone that's trained as a, you know at a high level in sports, you know, elite performance is always the stress and the pressure of the performance, and then the recovery of it. Uh, and, and so, elite athletes will always you know, prioritize their sleep and their recovery uh, just as much as they will their their training, because if they don't, then they're not able to train, they're not able to perform, and so often, so we need to oscillate between. The, the performance and the recovery. So what are the, what are the things that we need to do to recover? And, you know, really quickly, the, the science says that we need to engage in activities that allow us to detach from work so we stop thinking about it, uh, activities that relax us, and that's very much around the physiological return to, to neutral with the parasympathetic nervous system, so flushing out a lot of the, the, the chemicals, um, and then um, a, a sense of mastery so that we are seeing progression and achieving goals and 
um, you know, building our self-belief outside of work, right? So that's important that they're outside of work. So whether that's, you know, exercise is is great for, for that because it ticks all three because so often when you're doing exercise, you're not thinking about work, you're detached. You are, um, uh, afterwards, you're, you've, because you've got the, the blood pumping, you've filtered out a lot of the cortisol, cortisone, adrenaline, noradrenaline, all those sorts of things out of your system. So you're returning to a relaxed state. And, uh, you know, if you're achieving goals along the way in terms of fitness goals and, and those sorts of things, you've got this sense of mastery that you're developing. Uh, and so, you know, whatever the activities are, there's a whole bunch of them, but if you can recover, and I think that's an important habit that, that um, uh, you know, executives and senior leaders need to build in because, you know, the research says that if we take a, if we're on the road to burnout and we take a two-week holiday and we recover fully, um, then two weeks after our return to work, we're at the same state of burnout we were prior to the holiday. Uh, we can't take, you know, two weeks of leave every two weeks. So we need to make recovery a habit uh, continually. So, yeah, that's br- that's brilliant. Um, yeah, that's insightful. And uh, I know our I know our viewers and uh, audience are going to take a lot out of that. So, Cliff, I, I really want to thank you for joining us on Ultra Habits today, mate. Thank you. Um, lovely to have someone here from Australia on the show, as I said to you earlier. Um, where can our audience learn more about you, Cliff? Yeah, awesome. Uh, so, look, I have a website at cliffatmorgan.com.au. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And, uh, and so they're, they're probably the two primary places. Uh, I, you know, I am on Facebook and YouTube and, and those sorts of things as well. But, um, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn and, and you'll see me post a bunch of stuff and you can follow some more of my, my journey. Thank you so much, Cliff. Thanks, RJ.